down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. In the 1990s, a phrase that gained popularity was, it takes a village, meaning that everyone within the community of a child must interact with him or her to help them grow in the safest and healthiest environment. This proverb was said to have originated in the African culture, but has been adopted by the American political culture to promote the shared values of a communal society. This notion seems quite plausible at face value. But there are several questions to contemplate when considering this idea. For example, what are the perimeters of said village? Which values does said village promote? What are the consequences for defying said values? And most importantly, what if said village picks and chooses who it wants to help? and who it doesn't, or who it wants to include and who it doesn't. The Richland County, Ohio of 1949 seemed to be quite uncertain as to who it considered to be included within its collective village and who was not included. On January 1st, 1949, the local newspaper highlighted the county's list of achievements for the previous year and discussed its ambitious goals for the coming year. At the pinnacle of its accomplishments was the building of an $800,000 TB sanatorium located on Mansfield's southeast side and set to open in September of 1949. Additionally, other county dollars were spent on improving the area around Mansfield's airport, installing fluorescent lighting in county offices, and a few suggestions that segued from the idea stage to the architect's drawing boards were a remodeled jail and courthouse annex, which would include a detention home, a jail for women, and a fireproof vault for records and additional office space within the courthouse. At the city level in Mansfield, the Richland County seat, council members rolled up their collective sleeves and hashed out a budget that included $440,000 for the Clear Fork Dam and Reservoir Project. $216,000 to extend water lines to the Cook Road area, $60,000 for a fire station in the Boulevards area, $17,000 for the addition of a plush new municipal courtroom, and 
the purchase of 18 new city vehicles. According to public records from that year, with the exception of repairs around the Mansfield Airport, nearly all county and city appropriations were directed to areas south and east of Park Avenue West. But interestingly enough, it was the following health records that really grabbed my attention. In May of 1946, then Richland County Health Commissioner, Dr. W.B. Wild shared, and I'm quoting, tuberculosis in 1925 was in sixth place as the killer in Mansfield and Richland County. But last year, it dropped to eighth place and entirely out of the picture in Richland County, unquote. He went on to attribute improved medical care and immunization as contributing factors in controlling the disease. These findings indicate that tuberculosis deaths were non-existent in 1945. But in 1948, Health Commissioner Harry Wayne reported that Richland County saw 18 TB-related deaths in 1947. Quite a drastic jump in just two years. However, while spending several hours researching these statistics, I found a November 28, 1947 newspaper article in which then-City County Health Commissioner Dr. Fred O. Tawney reported, and I'm quoting again, Eight persons have died of TB thus far in 1947. So from this, we can infer that either the TB deaths in the last month of 1947 surpassed all total deaths for the entire year, or that Commissioner Wayne's information was faulty. So let's review. In 1947, eight Richland County residents died over the course of 11 months. In 1948, $800,000 was spent to build a sanatorium to combat tuberculosis. In that same year, at the north end of Mansfield, the Country Club allotment number three had no sanitary sewer treatment stations and no indoor plumbing. Did the local officials not learn anything from the TB outbreak, which was internationally referred to as the White Plague? Could they not entertain the notion of another type of epidemic or outbreak affecting the area? Did they bother to review possible conditions that might lead to future contagions? Evidently not. So, eight people died in 1947. The county spent almost a million dollars in 1948 to combat that problem. But during a three-month span in 1949, nine infants died of dysentery due to inadequate water supplies 
and sewage disposals. How did the county's health officials respond to this outbreak? They sent nurses into the neighborhood and demonstrated proper hand washing, disposal of dirty diapers, and lessons on proper bottle feeding. Because of a lack of funds, instead of building the recommended 50 outdoor toilets for the area, the health department hired an additional health inspector to enforce sanitary regulations in the area. To say that county officials were out of touch with the Appalachian culture, which resided within the country club allotment, would have been a great understatement. At one point, area residents formed a committee and organized a meeting to discuss incorporating the area into the city in order to run city water lines and proper sewage treatment into the area in hopes of preventing future health concerns and to allow for fire protection services, which were non-existent at that time. On October 12, 1949, a meeting was held at Roseland School to discuss the proposal. Over 500 people attended the meeting, most of whom were vehemently opposed to the plan. The area newspaper described the opponents as determined and vocal and said they held fast to their beliefs that their tax burden would be heightened and they blamed the realtor who set up the country club allotment and the city of Mansfield for encouraging local industries to bring rural and out-of-town workers into the area without having sufficient and adequate housing to offer them. The health commissioner stressed to the attendees that the area was endangered by unsanitary conditions that could eventually affect the entire county, but the dissidents were unmoved. A Hannah Road mother who had lost her child due to the outbreak was quoted as saying, of course they don't want to help if it costs them money, but it is we that have lost our babies and need that water. The city sanitary engineer voiced that it would cost around $12,000 to run lines into the area, and he hinted at county plans to put sewage and water systems throughout Madison Township, but pointed out that realization of that plan was in the distant future. The meeting ended in favor of the dissenters, and city water and sewer services would not be seen in the Little Kentucky neighborhood until decades later. Earlier, we discussed the meaning of the phrase, it takes a village. And we learned that not every village is inclusive. Although a city extends to the boundaries of its corporation limits, some villages or hamlets have subtle unmarked borders that establish lines of demarcations based on income levels educational levels, culture, and race. Fortunately 
for the young people of Little Kentucky, some non-area residents felt the pain of those who lived in the impoverished neighborhood, and they heeded the words of Scripture regarding the command to bear one another's burdens and to put on the garments of kindness and compassion. A young woman who worked at the Mansfield Friendly House convinced its leadership to help the residents of the poverty-stricken district. Director Russell Gimble and co-director, his wife Mary, who were affectionately known as Mr. and Mrs. Friendly House, were instrumental in the gifting and establishment of a Hannah Road area playground. And they also convinced the Kiwanis Club to finance the drilling of two wells in the Little Kentucky area. This woman, who wishes to remain anonymous, also arranged for transportation of young people from the area to be bused to the Friendly House in order to have access to weekly showers. During that same time period, a teacher at John Sherman Junior High School, who also wishes to remain anonymous, arranged for the school's locker rooms and showers to be available before and after school to allow students access to proper hygiene. She also encouraged other teachers to join her in donating soap, shampoo, and other personal care items for the students and their families. As moms, we possess the ability to convince our children that our kisses can heal their boo-boos and mend their broken hearts. But there is no amount of kisses or tears that can bring them back to life. It did take a village to survive that summer of sorrow. The lack of support from the community and elected officials only strengthened the resolve of the little Kentucky families. What they lacked in financial resources and education, they made up for with grit and determination. Neighbors helped neighbors to build outhouses, carry water from the local wells, and to build on to their cramped and overcrowded houses. When sickness or death visited a family, local folks brought food and collected money to help with burial expenses. Back then, we knew and trusted our neighbors. We didn't lock our doors, and if for some reason we did, our neighbors had a spare key. Our house, which originated as a chicken coop, became the first house on the road to have indoor plumbing because my grandpa put in a well and septic system. At that 1949 meeting, when the sanitary engineer said that extending water and sewer plans would be in the future, he was absolutely right because our house wasn't connected to city services until 1978. I'd like to say that the little Kentucky neighborhood has greatly improved 
and for the most part, it has. But more generations will have to pass before Mansfield's North End isn't automatically equated with its Appalachian origins. As for the descendants of those hillbilly migrants who made their way north in search of a better life, we're doing just fine. And if you're curious about those nine families who lost their children, those nine women, those nine mothers who buried their babies, how did they survive that summer of sorrow? My grandma, Sarah Adkins, and those other eight women became their own village, a village of survivors, a village of strong women who endured their own heartbreak and braved their own grief in order to raise and care for their remaining children. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered down women. Searching for love, no pain in this world, with no help from above.